I pray that we can do that this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So Jonah chapter 2. Last week we looked at chapter 1. God commissioned his prophet Jonah uh, to deliver a message, a message of judgment and pending doom uh, to a brutal, barbaric people, the enemies of Israel, the Ninevites. And you'd think with a message like that to your enemies, Jonah would be very... uh, uh, happy to do that, right? Yeah, I want to tell them they're dead meat, right? They can't treat people like that. You can't act that way. But Jonah knew something that not everyone knows. Jonah was doctrinally sound, but personally biased and prejudiced. Jonah knew, and we're going to be there in chapter 4, verse 2, it says, I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents from doing harm. That's who God is. And Jonah knew that. So he knew this message also came with a safety valve for these people. There's also forgiveness with that message attached to it. So Jonah, who was doctrinally sound, was biased and prejudiced. And he begins a downward spiral running from the Lord. He goes down, 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 until finally he's at the bottom of the Mediterranean in the belly of a fish. And verse 17 of chapter 1 says the Lord had prepared that fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. What is he doing? Jonah is thinking, contemplating, right? Jonah Maybe he's thinking, how long does it take to digest a person? Like, let's get this over with, right? Jonah didn't know he was going to live and come back. Jonah's thinking, but in that space, that time, because God gives people time and space to repent, right? If you remember that Jesus writes to the church, the churches in Revelation there, he gives people time and a space to repent. Jonah's there thinking contemplating, how did I get here? Did I see this coming? Maybe Jonah knew. Maybe Jonah didn't want to admit that he was, had been growing cold in his walk, distant from the Lord. Maybe it was just time for him to, to realize, man, this isn't, I'm not who I thought I was. God does that in our life, doesn't he? He's so faithful, man. We think everything's going smooth and we're, who we think we are in our minds, right? And then a situation, a trial, a difficulty, something happens and this thing pops out that you're like, man, I didn't know I would do that. I didn't know I would act that way in this situation. And here it is. Jonah's there and he's got three days in a very uncomfortable place to think about where he's at. And it takes him three days to pray. Verse verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, from the, from the fish's belly. This dispels any idea that you've blown it too much and that God won't hear you. Any thought that you have that I've gone too far, I've overstepped the line, how can God hear or answer my prayer? That's what the devil wants you to think, that you've gone too far, you've crossed the line, and there's no way God can hear my prayer. Jonah's in the belly of a fish in the Mediterranean Sea, right? And this is God's man. Somebody, someone that maybe you expect more out of. Right? Man, you're a pastor. You're a Sunday school teacher. 
your principle. And, and there he is, but he prays. And we're going to read this, We're going because I want to get through the, 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 whole, the rest of the book. We're going to read most of the chapter after this, but uh, what comes pouring out, we're going to find out, is the Word of God. What comes pouring out of Jonah's mouth as he's in the belly of this fish, he's a man who was raised in a godly home, and the Word of God comes pouring out of him, verse after verse, thought after idea, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, don't lose heart, and don't lose hope. Don't think that your efforts are in vain. The seed of the Word of God that you're planting daily, weekly, are going inside. And it may not look like it's doing anything right now. They're going inside, and it's going to come out. It's a live seed. You know, they found seeds uh, in Herod's tomb, 2,000 years old, that were ready to germinate and grow, and they did, in the pyramids, right? Seeds are very powerful. In the seed of God's word, there's nothing better. It's planted inside of a heart. And for Jonah, very rebellious, disobedient, out of the hands and the will of God, the word of God just comes flowing out of him, right? Sometimes it takes an uncomfortable situation for people to get to that point where it finally needs to be watered. And it comes flowing out. I'll, I'll read this. You guys don't have to. I have a few cross-references, and we're going to try to get through this in a timely fashion. So uh, you don't have to turn there with me. But Isaiah, you might want to reference this. You may probably know this. Isaiah 55, verse 9. We're going to read a couple verses. It says, For the heavens, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down to he from heaven and the snow from heaven, and they do not return here, but they water the earth, and they make and bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He said, So shall my word be that that goes forth out of my mouth. It won't return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. For you shall go out with joy and be led with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hand. Instead of thorns, listen, and it may look like thorns right now. Instead of thorns shall come up a cypress tree. Instead of a briar shall come up a myrtle tree. And that shall be to the Lord for your name. For an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. What a blessing, a privilege that the seed of God's word goes into a heart, and it just doesn't come out thorns and briars. It's going to come out a tree, something big, something strong, something powerful. It's going to stand. That's the Word of God. Don't get discouraged. It's easy to. You invest in your children. The best fathers, the best father, our Father God, had prodigals, right? It happens. So he prays. The word of God comes flowing out. Let's read that together. Uh, verse 1 or verse 2 says, I cried to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol or hell, 
and you heard my voice, right? It, you think, God, are you, can you even listen here? I'm, I'm in, literally feel like I'm in heaven now. For you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas. The floods surrounded me, your billows and your waves, waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surrounded me to my soul, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, he's suffocating. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, then I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you, unto your holy temple. And then he says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. A couple thoughts here about those verses. First one is it took a little while, and it took a lot for Jonah to hit rock bottom before he cried out. You may be waiting for a prodigal, a son or a daughter or a spouse. They might not be in hell yet. They may have just bought the ticket. They may have just been starting to find friends going in their direction. This might be just the beginning. Maybe it hasn't even started to rain yet. Be patient. This is an endurance race we're in. We're all running a race. It's an endurance race. It's not a sprint. Very important to stay in the Word of God and let that wash your mind. Very important to be in prayer. Call people to pray. Get prayer. Don't just hold it in or think, you know, worried with the way someone might think, think about me or whatever. Get prayer. And be in fellowship. Be around brothers and sisters. Be around believers. People who can give you good counsel. Not bad counsel. But be patient. Jonah, it took him hitting rock bottom. His hell. The worst place he could be. Second, we can experience discomfort and pain when we backslide. Sometimes God chastens us. Sometimes it's self-infliction when we go through this life, make bad choices. Psalm 119, verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, it's God's hand, I went astray, but now I've kept your word. God, you taught me a lesson. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19 says this, and, and this is Jeremiah, this is God speaking through Jeremiah to a, a, a nation was very rebellious. He says, your own wickedness shall correct you and your backsliding shall rebuke you, right? Sometimes it's our own self-infliction stuff. We choose a path that we know is bad and dangerous. Don't be surprised to get wounded on, on the way. And sometimes it's those wounds, those self-inflictions that push us back to the Lord. We realize, man, this is not a path I want to be on. This hurts. But if you want to, turn with me to Hebrews 
You don't have to. I'm going to read it. You may be familiar with it. <clears throat> it says this, chapter 12. And you have forgotten the exhortation, verse 5, which speaks to you as sons. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son he receives. For if you endure chastening, God deals with you as a son. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? But if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're an illegitimate and you're not sons. Furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they did it for, for a few days, chastened us, and it seemed best to them. But he does it for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. But no chastening seems to be joyful, for the present time, but it's painful. That's what Jonah's going through. It's painful, but he says, nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And then he says this, these three verses are important. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees. Make straight the path of your feet, so that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no man can see the Lord. Vital. God wants to restore and heal. He uses correction. He uses chastening. That's what we do as moms and dads, right? Our kids do something. It's not like, yeah, I can't wait till they step out of line. I'm looking forward to getting my big spoon out and see if I can leave a red mark, right? No, that's not what we're doing. Because we want to change their direction. Change their attitude and their thoughts. And know, you know what? If you go that way, it's going to cause harm. This is a little harm that's going to leave. The sting's going to be gone shortly. But if you stay on that path, the sting's going to be longer. It's going to be worse. So God chastens us. And the third thing says, they that observe, King James says this in verse 8, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. If you hold the course of sin and rebellion, you forsake God's mercy. You refuse His mercy. You can't blame God. Don't deflect what you've done. Don't blame other people or downplay what you've done or lie about it. Don't excuse it like everyone's doing it. Own it. God wants to show you mercy and love and forgiveness, right? And that's Jonah, right? God wants to show Jonah mercy. If you cry for mercy, you can turn. Unfortunately, Jonah thinks he's earned God's mercy, and he deserves it. So it says this, verse 10, chapter 2. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The Lord speaks, and the storm ends. And where's Jonah? Right where he needed to be. Actually, right where he left off. Probably in Joppa. Right where he found the ship. This fish comes and pukes him up on the, on the shore. 
when Lydia was little, <clears throat> I had littler kids, but me and Lydia picked out movies, DVD players. That's when uh, DVD players were popular. We went to Walmart and picked out a season of dirty jobs. You guys may have seen that before, right? So we get a season of dirty jobs, and hopefully it's not a bad movie. But we get a season, and one of the first uh, episodes on that season we bought was the Lake Erie water snakes. And researchers were, were, were you know, checking on them, what they're eating and different things. And it was interesting. They were getting bit, catching them, and it was fun. We watched, you know, episode after episode. I must have watched that one a hundred times. Uh, so anyways, what they did, they wanted to find out what these snakes were eating and they would take them into the lab and they would make them puke, right? And they would cough up a goby or a, a fish that they had eaten and it was encapsulated in digestive juices and slime and sick, right? Well, that's Jonah. This fish, you know, Jonah didn't come out with a suit and tie on. Jonah came out like one of these gobies out of the snake, Right? It was disgusting. Terrible. Imagine the scene. And I don't know how to pronounce ambergris or ambergeis. It's actually well vomit. You can look it up. For some reason, people use it in perfume. You may know that, right? And it's worth more than gold. Sometimes three times as much as gold. Well puke, right? But doesn't the Bible, didn't Peter say that? Like the trying of our faith is more valuable than gold that perishes. As God sends us through these trials, allows us to go through them, man, we come out as pure gold, don't we? All the impurities burn off. Some got burned off of Jonah. He's learning a lesson, right? He's learning a lesson. It says this, so God speaks to Jonah again, Vomits him up on dry land. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach the message that I tell you. Man, isn't God the God of second chances? Right? Like, you think he'd let Jonah do that again? You might say, all right, Jonah, you're fine. Go home. I'm going to get somebody else. No. Jonah, you're the guy. I still want to use your life. I have a message that I want you to give. God's, think of Samson. Samson was one of those births in the Bible that the angel came to his parents and said, hey, you've got someone who's going to begin to deliver Israel. Right? This judge, Samson, mighty, let his hair grow, right? This Nazarite vow that you know, he was keeping all these separate rules to prove his commitment to God. And what did he do? He fell. He had a problem with women. He could not stay away. God loved him, loved him, loved him, until finally what he did, the secret to his power, which he thought was in his hair, cut his hair. Power was gone. The spirit had departed from Samson. Samson ends up grinding in the mill, getting his eyes gouged out, right? Because of his own poor mistakes. Being warned all the way through as you read uh, the account of his life. 
and, and Samson is there grinding in the mill and his hair begins to grow again. Begins to grow and grow. And what happens? God used him more mightily at the end of his life than through his life, destroying this pagan temple. God is the God of second chances. Look at Peter, right? I'll never deny you. I'm ready to, to die, go to prison for you. And then the next thing you know, what? And he runs. And Jesus said, hey, go tell my disciples and Peter that I've risen. He recommissions, them in, recommissions him in John chapter 21. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs, Peter. My mission for you hasn't changed. So that's, that's God. He's the God of the second chance and the third and the fourth and the fifth. But Jonah has a choice here. He has a choice to obey or disobey. To obey or find a boat. To obey or go look for some friends heading in a different direction. And Jonah obeys. And he goes 300 miles to Joppa. You know what? That's an endurance race. We're going to see Jonah doesn't have the right heart, but he stays the course. Is everything going to be perfect? No, but he stays his course. I'm heading in that direction. Were there bumps in the road, tough times in his life? I'm sure. He's got to go 500 miles, though. And he made it. He kept going. He kept going. Don't start and then quit. He arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. And Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three days journey in extent. So three days to traverse the city. That's how long it took to get around the city. That's how large it's the capital of Assyria. Wicked. And it says, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day day's walk, and he cried out and said, here's the message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words, so simple. 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Who knows if God gave him more words than that? I don't know. That was his message. Maybe, maybe God said, you know, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown unless you repent. I don't know. This is the message Jonah preached. This is what Jonah cried out. He maybe didn't exactly say what God wanted him to, but you know the reality? The emphasis is never on a person, a pastor, your evangelistic skills, your ability to divide the word. It's always on the message, not on the messenger. It's, it's, it's hard to hear people say, me, my, this, I did, that, because really, who are you? You know, uh, you know God used... Balaam's donkey to speak, right? I heard a pastor say one time, I, I, you know, God rides in here on a donkey every single week. And that's the reality. God can use donkeys because it's not about the donkey. It's about the message. That's where the power's at. The power's in the word of God and the message that it contains, right? God chooses donkeys. He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the Bible says. And Jonah probably looked weird. He probably sounded weird. There, there's probably some effects from being in a fish for three days. But what's most amazing is we know, as we continue to read 
Jonah had the wrong heart even preaching the message. And God still uses it. It's the power of the gospel. <clears throat> so it says this in verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God. Like, what did they believe? Like, all he said is, Nineveh shall be overthrown. I believe we're going to be overthrown, right? What? And they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. And word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. What I think they believed is their lifestyle was destructive. And it demands judgment unless there's change. And God gave everyone a conscience. That message of judgment and destruction, God gives people a conscience to know what's right and wrong, if they're crossing a line or not. It's a very... Uh, it's something that you can damage by continuing to cross the line and cross the line, cross the line. And, and they knew just by hearing this message of judgment that they knew that they had to change. They knew they had to change. And, that's, and, and, and repentance means to agree with God. It's to change your mind, change direction, agree with the Lord. Lord right? And that they just said, They believed God. And he caused, this this is the king, verse 7. He caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and crying mightily to God, saying, Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. And who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? At this point, they didn't even even know if God would change. They just thought, we need to change just in case. We can't keep living like this, right? And that's the beauty of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the beauty. Like, it's for whoever. This nation, these people flayed people alive. They did the most grotesque torture treatments to people you can imagine. People would either commit suicide when they knew the Assyrians were coming or they would give up long before they made it. You can have our city, whatever you want. If they had to go to war, they would torture and torture and torture men, women, and children. They were brutal, barbaric people. But what do they do? There's a revival here. Even they got saved, right? Amazing. Amazing. But it's also the critique of the gospel. How can God forgive him or her? Don't they know he's a liar? or an abuser, that she's been unfaithful, that she's a whatever, alcoholic. People can get upset at the thought of forgiveness. Jonah did. Jonah did. 
And verse 10 says, Then God saw their works, that, he, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the, from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he didn't do it. Ezekiel 33:11, God says, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from their evil way and live. I don't have any pleasure. I don't, I don't take pleasure in punishing someone. I want them to turn. I want them to live. We read this last week, 1 Peter 3. God's not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Isn't that amazing? God is long-suffering. He sees everything you're doing. He says, sees everything I'm doing. And you think, I'm getting away with it. Nothing's happened. I can do whatever I want. No, God's long-suffering. He doesn't want to judge you. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to be saved. So it says this, verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. You ever feel like someone's getting away, away with something? Like, dang it. Right? No one's getting away with anything. People get the opportunity to get saved, thankfully. It says this in, in, in Revelation chapter 20. It says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose faith the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And it says the books were open. It's the book of your life. It's the book of my life. It's a library of books of everything you've done. And then it says another book was opened, which was the book of life. And it says the dead were judged according to their works by the things written in the books. The library of your life. Every account of everything you've ever done bad. That you've crossed the line. That's not the book you want to stand before God with. It says, And the sea gave up the dead, and those who were in it, and death and Hades were delivered up to death. And, and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each man according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. But it says, And anyone found written in the book of, not written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. See, the book of life, you're... you're if you're in that book, the dictionary of your life, all the record of your wrong, is cast as far as the east is from the west. It's forgiven. I've got a pretty good library. I'm 51. And apart from Jesus Christ, uh, up to this point, I have a lot of accountability, a lot of things to answer for, a lot of things I've done wrong. Right? But it displeased the Lord, like, or dis displeased Jonah. He's angry, like, they don't deserve it. Well, you know what? Neither do you, Jonah. Verse 2 says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I, when I was in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know 
that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Imagine telling someone you're too kind. Oh, you're too, you're too kind. Like We're looking for kind people nowadays, aren't we? Somebody nice at the grocery store or you know, wherever you are. Somebody that is actually normal and nice and kind, right? Isn't that, wouldn't that be nice? And Jonah's like, Lord, you're too kind. Don't, right? And some people say, and this is true, some people say, oh, you know what, I'm just being real. Being real, man. That's true. You're being real, and that's good. We need to be real. But expect a lesson. Expect to learn a lesson. You're real. You know, your heart's wicked. It's evil. Mine's wicked and evil. You know what, Lord? I'm just, I hate that person. Can't stand that person. I hope that person, you know, uh, somebody robs them. You know, whatever it is, somebody pops his tires. You know, all right, fine. You know, but God has to teach you a lesson because he doesn't want you to walk around with that kind of heart, with that kind of attitude, harming people around you and yourself. He just doesn't want it. Right? It's not good. This is what Romans 12 says is a key. It says, Beloved, in verse 19, don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Then he says this, Paul says this, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. What? That's my Chick-fil-A or whatever it is. Give him my lunch? If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's hard, isn't it? What? If If he's hungry, feed him? That don't make sense. I barely got enough money for myself, right? Thirsty, give him something to drink. That don't make any sense. But it affects their mind. You'll heap coals of fire on their head. Man, God's love burns in the heart and the minds of people if you're willing to do what the Bible says. And it heaps coals of fire. It affects their mind, their thoughts. Like, why are they treating me like that? Don't they know I didn't give them their bonus on purpose? Don't you know that I did this on purpose to hurt them? And you're still, it does not make any sense. I'm trying to hurt them and they're blessing me. That's difficult. But it's what God says to do. You'll affect people in a positive way. And then he says, verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Right? You ever think, I'll die before I forgive that idiot? Before I apologize? Before I help them? Before I ever care? And he says, the Lord says, Is it right for you to be angry? There's the question posed. Is it right? And that's the thing that weighs on your conscience. Think about it. And you say, You don't know how it feels. You don't know what they did. I've got righteous anger. Right? 
It's true. There is righteous anger. Matthew 18, you guys know the story probably of this king that, you know, had his guys look at his books. Hey, who owes me money? This guy owes you a lot, like millions. Go get him. Get his whole family. I'm, I got to collect on some debt, some, you know, looking for a new Lamborghini or something. So this guy comes in and, hey, pay me what you owe me. And the guy's like, oh, it's like impossible. This guy's a slave, number one. The debt is like over the top. He can never pay it. It's millions of dollars and he's making like hundreds of dollars. And he says, please forgive me. I'll pay you what I owe you when I can. And the king's like, you know what? You're free to go. Imagine your mortgage is paid for, your cars, your, your, all your credit card, all your debt is gone. Can you imagine that? Like, what? I'm used to writing this check every... It's over. Wouldn't you think this guy would be pretty happy? He comes out and sees another guy that owes him 100 bucks. He's like, hey, by the way, you owe me 100 bucks. Hey, be patient with me. I'll give it to you. Uh-uh. Give me my money. Dude, I don't have it right, and that's not on me. All right, throw him in prison. What? So everyone who saw that went back to the king and like, you, can you believe the nerve of this guy? You just forgave him millions, and he wouldn't forgive this guy 100 bucks. King's like, go get him. Went and got him and threw him in the debtor's prison to be tortured by the tormentors. And that's what unforgiveness does. It will torment you. It doesn't torment the person that you hate or dislike. It torments you. It torments you. Forgiven people, you've been forgiven so much, right? Every volume of the book. Forgiven people should be forgiving people. It just should be. It's not easy. God's working it into Jonah. Sometimes it's a process. I'm all set. That was a joke. Not all set. And Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, and he sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Like, dude, I hope something bad happens here. I hope that... They're just pretending. Can't wait. So he's got all eyes on on the city like somebody's going to cross the line. I can't wait. And you're just wishing the worst on people. Wait till they step out of line. They're going to get it. He's still wishing the worst. And it says this. You know, he builds this shelter. It says a lot for his shelter because in verse 6 it says, The Lord prepared a plant. And made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from the misery. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. It says a lot about his shelter, right? Like, Jonah, couldn't you build yourself a good shelter? This plant is actually better. And But as the morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. This guy is just all over the map. And, and, and it happened when the sun arose. God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wished for himself, wished, wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live, right? Everything out of his control is so bad. The worm's stupid. The 
plant's stupid. The sun's stupid. The, everybody's stupid, right? Everything's stupid. And, and, and he's irrational, like, I wish I was dead. Like, this is the worst thing. Can you ever have a plant die? This is terrible. I don't know how I'm going to take it, my life. And Jonah just is out of control. He's not thinking clearly. But the Lord said, verse 10, You've had pity on the plant for which you've not labored, nor made grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who can't discern from their right hand to their left and much livestock? And that's, gen- that's referred to as children who don't know their left from right yet. Like 120,000 just kids in this city. That's how big it was, right? Probably upwards of over 600,000 people who lived in this city. And it's like a mic drop. There's another question. Don't you realize the kids you're infecting, affecting? Don't you realize that you're leaving them an example, a bad example? Don't you, leave, don't you, you know, understand that, that how bad this will be for them if I judge them? What about these kids? A lot of times kids aren't thought of in our decision-making process. We're wayward. But this whole book is primarily God's work in a prophet, right? Very little of the revival, just a few verses. But a lot has to do with this man. And it's more about the work in the prophet than it is the work through the prophet. That's the way it is in, God, in, in our life, in God's work in our life. He's not just concerned with are you witnessing at church enough? Are you tithing? Are you attending church? Yeah, that's cool stuff. But what's going on? What's churning inside? That's what God's concerned with. What's happening in there? God's really concerned with that. And it's a harder work in Jonah than it was in Nineveh, right? Jonah preached that message for three days and the whole nation repented. Jonah's been on the run for a long time and Jonah's still got a hard heart. Still having trouble. But God's at work doing something. This is the last scripture I want to read to you guys. It says this in Romans 12. Not Romans 12, I'm sorry. You guys know it's not Romans 12 when I read it to you. Romans 8, 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purposes. And then continue reading verse 29. It says, For whom He did foreknow, He also predestined. Then He doesn't say a place. He doesn't say a place. He predestined. He foreknew, those are all, you know, little words we, we, we use when we debate, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism. He says this, For whom he did foreknow, he also predestined destined to be conformed to the image of his Son. 
right? That's what we're predestined to. Not just a place, but an image. We're destined to be changed. That's God's desire. Not just to get us to heaven, but change us in the process of going there. That's his heart. His goal is to change us in the process. Jesus talked about being a wineskin. And he talked about having an, being an old wineskin. And, and it it's, gets crusty and old. And if you pour new wine into it, it bursts. Can't tell any. Some people, myself included, something new. We become set in our ways. And when God wants to change or mold our heart, we dig our feet in, dig our heels in, and we won't change. And then God has to start softening us up, right? Sometimes that's by trials. Sometimes it's just by the word of God, hopefully, correcting us. But sometimes when we don't change, you've got to turn the heat up a little bit. Why? Because he wants to conform us. He's changing us. He doesn't want us to become old wineskins. So we're so rigid and dry and nothing new can be poured into our life. We have no idea what happens to Jonah here. Did he learn his lesson? Or did, did he become more cynical and skeptical and angry? Did he become soft and moldable and humble and forgiving? So easy to become cynical, isn't it? Skeptical, angry. But then our use in the kingdom becomes severely limited. Can be. Not for Jonah, though. Not for Jonah. Recognize the work the Lord's doing in you. And if you're on the run, there's nothing, nothing that says that you have to wait till you get to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea inside a whale or a fish to repent. Could do it now. But if you don't, that's where you may end up. That's where you may end up going. God wants to call you back now. He cares for each and every one of us. Examine your heart. As I examine mine, Lord, is there any prejudice or hatred or bitterness? Anything that will limit my usability for your kingdom? Right? Is there unforgiveness in my life? So, Lord, we're thankful, God, for your word, for uh, the book of Jonah. I believe Jonah, as he pens this, uh, it's, uh, it's for us. It's for us to glean from. I believe Jonah is a guy who did examine himself and changed and probably in humility wrote this letter to help us. Because sometimes we just don't see, Lord. We can be blind to our own uh, things in our heart. We have blind spots in our life that we don't see clearly. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for friends. We're thankful for circumstances, God, that push us to you, back to you, God. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for forgiveness, repentance, changing our mind. Doing a 180. Uh, you're so good to us, God. We just love you. In Jesus' name.